Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. This week, our editor, Sheena Sharma, is sitting down with entrepreneur, philanthropist, and author, Susan Solomon. Without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome, everyone. We are here with Susan Solomon in today's episode of On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, and I will be subbing in for Melinda today. I'm very excited to interview Susan today. She has a very, very interesting life. There's a lot that young women can learn from her, as well as her book. She is an author, a philanthropist, and I'm excited to jump right in. Thank you. First of all, let me just say it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm delighted to be meeting you for this interview, and hello to all of your listeners. It's an honor for me to be here today. The first question I have for you, and your life sounds so interesting, so I just wanted to start for the viewers and the listeners. What exactly were you doing in the U.S. when you found out that you had to sort of relocate and engage in this upheaval with your life and move to Spain with your husband? (laughs) Well, in 2009, while sitting at home on a nice Sunday morning, and I live outside Boston, so it was probably snowy and cold and the fire was going and you didn't want to be out, the phone rang. And it was somebody from President Obama's transition team asking if my husband would be willing to serve as the U.S. ambassador to Spain and Andorra. And if he were willing, then his name would go into you know a vetting process and a confirmation process. This was not a done deal. And I heard my husband say, yes, of course. And then he turned to me because while he was asked, this was really a we decision, something that you don't just make as one part of a couple, you make together. And with great enthusiasm, I said, of course we want to do this. What an experience. As the title of the book says, Lost and Found, I appreciated it as, oh my God, what a great experience without realizing, oh my God, what an experience. So up until that point, I had enjoyed, I had spent 20 years of my career working for Boston's public television station, WGBH TV and radio. I ran their corporate fundraising. I was all over the country and raising money for the station, loving my work, thought I had the best job in the world. And I left it at some point to take what I thought was the next best job in the world, where I spent the next 10 years of my career working for an organization called the Philanthropic Initiative, or TPI, where we help foundations give money away. So instead of raising it, I was helping give it away. And I loved my career I still love my career. I still am pleased that I'm still involved with TPI professionally. But what I did not know was that I would not be taking my work with me to Spain. So currently in Spain, what does the day-to-day life really look like? Because I'm sure your husband is off doing ambassadorship type things, things that sound very foreign and fancy (laughs) to us Americans. What was settling in like? And I guess, when did you get into the groove of really the day-to-day life there? Well, it's really a mystery to most people, so you are not alone in that. And most people have assumptions about what the life of an ambassador and or ambassadorial family is like. And people picture, you know, you're in evening gowns all the time and going to coffees and teas and, you know, things like that. It's actually very, very hard work and very important work and very strategic and thoughtful. So yes, Alan, every day went to important meetings. He was with government leaders. He was 
talking to the press. He was talking to, we had a wonderful staff of 300 people at the embassy who worked at U.S. Embassy Madrid. He was talking to leaders from other countries as well to help advance U.S. interests and what our objectives were in Spain. Where I was there to say, who am I? What am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? So I spent the first few months of our time in Spain going around to everyone in the embassy, every section head, that's like a department, saying, hi, I'm Susan Solomont. I'm so happy to be here. I really hope I could be an active part of your initiatives and what you're doing. I kept offering myself to help. Um, and people kept saying, thank you, we'll call you. And sadly, I kept thinking, here I was with so much to offer, a 20-year career, 30-year career. I could think on my feet. I you know, relate to people. I could do things in philanthropy. I could do things in fundraising. I could, you know, a lot of things that could take place. And nobody was looking for me to really help out. But through patience and resistance, or resilience actually would be a better word, and um, I kept trying. And I really kept an open mind. I really kept open. So if somebody wanted me to do something, I was going to jump in with two feet, with both feet, with everything I have, and you know, show that I could be part of what their initiatives were. Ultimately, though, I was able to find my own path that would be of importance to the embassy's missions. And that is, I found that there was a need to connect Spanish businesswomen with American businesswomen, that some of the leaders in Spain head up companies like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Pfizer, Hewlett Packard. These are all women leading these multinational companies based in Spain. And I could shine a light on what they were doing, introduce them to people at the embassy and assemble people to come hear from them as I would do, just like you're doing with me today, interviewing me. I pretended to be Oprah Winfrey though. And I would channel that for myself. And I would interview these women to sort of shed a light on professional women's lives in Spain. And it became quite a thing at the embassy. They got a following. I would do one every few weeks. We'd invite 100 people to come be the audience. I got the best return rate on my invitations possible. Everybody wanted an invitation to the embassy. And my women's leadership series took off. It was very, very rewarding and satisfying for me and not something I think I would have planned before I went to Spain. That's wonderful. It sounds like you moved there and you saw sort of a loophole or something that needed to be addressed and you found an opportunity through that. I think that's wonderful. And as you said, that's definitely something we at On The Dot here tried to do. We tried to connect women and create a network for women. So to hear that you've done that internationally is, I think, incredible, especially as a newcomer. It's really, really hard to start over somewhere. Well, I had a platform, and I think all women have a platform, whether we realize it or not. Yes, granted, I was in a very you know, formidable position in Spain, but what I learned was how to use it. And you said something that I thought was key. You said, I heard an opportunity. It was an opportunity that didn't exist. And by listening to what people were saying their needs were, we were able to fill that. And we didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or be like from the very first one we did to the very last one I did at the end of three and a half years. But we went with it and we sort of grew with them and learned from each one and figured out how do you make it better and what need aren't we meeting and can we meet that need? And things evolve. Just like your listeners are learning from your show, that's part of how we get things done. And, you know, there's no set formula. We don't have to follow it by the book. You talk a little bit in your book also about, which I'd love to read at some point, about being the quote unquote trailing spouse 
And, you know, this idea of being a woman who follows a partner to another place, and it's becoming more prevalent in society even today. At least I know a lot of my peers, millennial women, are moving more and more with their partners, especially because women are working more remotely these days. So they do kind of have that opportunity to move around. Did you ever have a moment of great doubt where you thought like, I don't know, this could be a sort of make or break moment for me or for my personal life or for my career? Did you ever have that sort of big moment or or a bunch of little moments of self-doubt where you thought, I don't know if I should do this? Because I do know that so many of my peers are are sort of plagued by that thought as well. Uh, I understand that. I had a lot of fear. But, you know, it's why the book is titled Lost and Found in Spain. It could have been called The Glory of Everything I Got to Do. There could have been a lot of titles. But yes, I was lost. Who was I as a trailing spouse? It's not a way I would define myself. And I think that the book can be very relevant to women or men who travel because of their spouse or partner. How do you define yourself? I mean, for 30 years, I defined myself by my career. How do you define it when you're not in that role? And who would you be? And, you know, others who move, you leave your friends, your family, your community. I left all of that behind. Uh, My two daughters were not with us. The only one who came was our dog, Stella Blue. And, you know, so everything, that whole bedrock that we're used to crumbled. I didn't have it. And I had to figure out who I was and how I wanted to be there. And I empathize with all those who do do something new. For me, I'm thrilled I did it. It was a life-changing experience. It brought me, when I returned, I could have gone back to doing the same old things I did before, which would have been great. I had a great life. But I actually said, now I have an opportunity again. I I likened it to having a whiteboard and just wiping it clean and being able to say, what do I want to put on this now? And I don't want your listeners to think, oh, she can do it because X, Y, Z. You could do it because you want to take control of who you are and how you are. So I thought very carefully about the work I was going to continue to do. I had always been on a lot of boards, but I wanted something, I wanted to really shake it up because I had learned what it was like to shake it up and come out. I don't want to say feeling victorious because that sounds like a win. It's just feeling so proud and that things became part of me. I I felt like I was evolving. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a really important thing, no matter what stage of your career you're in or what stage of your life you're in. How do you evolve? And I was fortunate enough to evolve. You know, Michelle Obama writes about it by calling it Becoming. It was actually a title I considered. She came there first. But how do you really figure out who you are in these new roles? And, you know, I see my daughters struggling with that. You know, they're in their 20s and 30s. Uh, You know, who are they? What will their life be defined by? And I really hope that we all get to have opportunities to add to who we are and, um, you know, grow with that. I love that. I love that you've looked at it in a sense of evolving because I think that we and even society has this idea that, you know, at some given point, whether it's in our late 20s or or early 30s, maybe we have to choose a trajectory professionally and personally. And then at that point, we have to sort of stop evolving and that's it. And we've chosen that and we're done. Well, I think the research shows that, you know, your generation, the next generation is going to change jobs more than my generation did. And I remember after being in public television for 20 years saying, is this where I'm going to be forever? Even though I loved what I got to do. And I'm very glad. For me, I really want 
challenges. So even writing the book was a challenge for me. I don't define myself as being an author. I had written a series of letters as my way to keep in touch with people at home. And these letters went out by the end of my tenure there, went out to over 3,000. They were published in Spanish and English. When I came home, writing became one of these new frontiers for me as well. Something new that I wanted to try. Not easy. Some people can sit down and write forever. For others, it's a struggle. It took me a couple of years to get this book done. You know, and I was writing about something near and dear to me, but I didn't want it just to be a recollection. I wanted it to probe what I was feeling inside as well. And I hope that for anyone who reads it, they'll understand it's not just one smooth trajectory. Life has bumps and curves, and I'd like to think the road is not straight, you know, and how, how do we all deal with that? How do we make it the best we can make it? Sure. In your book, you talk about this idea of starting over. And I guess it really intrigues me about your book. And what I'd like to learn more about is reshaping fear and how you chose to deal with fear. Because I think a lot of people in your situation may have either not gone in the first place, or if they had, um, I don't think that they would have been able to do what you've done, which is create a network of people, you know, and to take fear and to turn it into something that ends up becoming something to your advantage. I think is something really powerful. And I think that a lot of young women that even we speak to still struggle with. Well, fear is a hard thing. Somebody said fear speaks to false evidence appearing real. (laughs) So fear is something that we don't really know. Fear is something that we think is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say I still don't get fearful of things. But what I've learned from this experience is, yeah, there can be hard days. There can be days that are tough. Uh, There were days I was alone. You know, in my book, I dealt with even something like my father passed away in the first three months that I was in Spain. I mean, being alone and not being with my family, that was personal difficult for me. Not knowing who I was professionally. Somebody saying to me, let me just help you plan the menus wasn't what I was used to doing. And even not knowing where I lived, I mean, getting lost in the neighborhood. I have a great sense of direction. I've built in GPS. I got lost all the time. You know, I grew from that. And I hope that the message that I could communicate is that we can grow through these opportunities, even if they feel overwhelming. They can feel like you can feel totally lost. The book talks about being found as well. Found wasn't like that. It wasn't a snap oh, here I am, I'm found. It evolved as well. And it evolved into friendships. It evolved into comfort. I I didn't know much Spanish when I went to Spain. I could still do better. I would like to, on my list of things to still do is perfect, get my Spanish down pat. But you know, I learned. I learned how, yes, you speak up when you go to get your hair cut. I mean, you don't speak Spanish and you want them to say a little shorter here, please. And you overcome what is holding you back. And for that, I am so grateful. You know, now that I'm back home, I still feel like I have a platform to do things that I can make a difference. I can continue to do that, even though I am not in a powerful position like I was or like my husband was when we were in Spain. Tell us a little bit more about the book. What was really the impetus for you to write it? And what would you say the most powerful message that you'd like people to take away from it? I'm so proud of the book, Lost and Found in Spain, Tales of an Ambassador's Wife. I mentioned earlier, when I moved to Spain, I had a need to communicate with my friends and family. So I wrote my first letter, my email letter, went to 13 friends. It was the same email to everybody. Imagine that, like copy, paste, copy, paste. And I said, this is silly. I'm just going to do a group email and I'll give it a name. And I called it hola, the Spanish word for hello. 
Mm -hmm. And my first Ola went to 13 people. That Ola sort of got circulated to maybe 20, 30 people. By the end of my three and a half years in Spain, I had written 34 Olas, and they went from 13 people to 3,000. The impetus for the book came with a dear friend of mine who was a literary agent, and she said to me, Susan, put them in a book. But a book of letters is not a book. Your book needs to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you need to have an arc. So through that, I spent two years writing this. The book is organized by chapters. It's not chronological. So it's everything from Boston to the land of Oz, because we felt we lived over the rainbow with this Jimmy moment type of life, to one chapter is called Darling, Do Not Fear What You Don't Even Know, which is the name of a song by an artist named Brett Denon. My last chapter is called What a Long Strange Trip It's Been, in reference to the Grateful Dead. I have a chapter called From Sea to Shining Sea about our travels, about the food we ate. And the book took shape, almost like content by category of what I got to do. So it's not chronological. And each chapter deals with some loss and something found as well, where ultimately I would say the found far outweighs the loss. The ability to live in a new culture, make new friends, find new interesting work. Understand, you know, what an embassy does and what our role is overseas. I would walk down the streets in Madrid and people would come up to me and tell me how much they love our country. We were serving under President Obama, how much people love President Obama. It was an honor. I met men and women in our military who were serving overseas. And the respect that I have for the work that they do and how they protect us, both in a safe country like Spain, as well as in countries that are in harm's way. So all of these things I'm so grateful for. That's part of the found part of my message. Look for things that go beyond who you already have been and are, and you'll find them. I love that because I think when people are forced to change things in their life, we often focus too much on what we're losing. And just because if what we're gaining doesn't come to us immediately or right away, it's great that you had such an open mind. And I love that message. Thank you. We want things immediately. I mean, we live in an immediate society. And actually, part of life in Spain was a little bit about stopping to savor things. And, you know, they say that people here live to work. In Spain, people say they work to live. And both are right. We all have to work. You know, we need income. We need to be able to support ourselves. But we also need to know how to enjoy life. And I learned a lot about that living there and, you know, to put in what are those things that give you satisfaction, whether it be from friends and family, whether it be from taking a walk with your dog. I love walking with my dog. It's one of my happiest places to be. And how do I still do that? Even while I want to do meaningful work and participate in our culture, civic society like that. Sure. So what's next for you? Do you think you'll write another book? Well, I do have a second book coming out. It's called Stella, the Ambassador Dog, based on the adventures of a dog named Stella Blue. You do write from what you know, where she serves as the Ambassador Dog to Spain. And it's currently being illustrated. It should be out sometime this spring, in the spring of 2019. That might be it for me for writing. I still do some work for the Philanthropic Initiative. And I also am very involved with the Berklee College of Music. It trains young people to have careers in the music industry, the contemporary music industry. They had a campus in Spain, in Valencia. So that's how I first got involved. So thank you, Spain, for bringing me to Berkeley, and now I'm very involved with Berkeley. I still want to play a role in my community. I want to have meaningful work. I want to have time for my friends and family. And I also want time for me and enjoy life. Yes, I love that. I don't know if we 
talked about this already, but very quickly, just tell the readers and viewers, where can they get your book? Oh, I'd be happy to. Lost and Found in Spain, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, or go into your local independent bookstore and ask for it. I'm on Facebook, Susan Salamont is my author page. You could check me out on Instagram, S. Salamont, and my website is susansalamont.com. So I hope all your listeners will do so. Yes, they definitely will. Thank you, Susan. I would love to talk to you more. You're just such a fascinating person, and this interview is amazing. So look forward to reading your book, and thank you for being on. It was truly a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Sheena. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and I really appreciate your having me on your show, and I hope your listeners find this an interesting interview. For me, it was just a joy. Thank you. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our free daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass you are meant to be. Tune in next week, where I sit down with up-and-coming Malaysian MC and artist, Zamara. We're focused on your success, so let us know what you think by chatting with us at OnTheDotWoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear your voice.